Hello and welcome to Unity Presbyterian Church Online. This week in worship, Pastor David answers the basic question of Christianity. Why did Jesus have to die on the cross? Let's listen. Well, it's good to see you. I was gone last week. My family went and visited Colorado, and, and what a neat state. I mean, the mountains are a little bit bigger there, and, and you're just, everywhere you go, you're surrounded by them. And so we had a great time hiking and tubing down a river and, and doing all the really memorable summer activities. But there was one thing we did on the last night that was uh, particularly enjoyable, just because it was so different. Uh, we went to the rodeo. Now, I had not been to a rodeo since I was maybe, you know, this tall. And so getting to take my girls there was uh, just a joy for me. Although, I was surprised how really I was kind of gripping my seat whenever they rode on the bulls or on the broncos. I was worried for them, thinking they're going to get really hurt. Um, I, I guess I always knew what happened at rodeos, but seeing it up close, seeing it right there in front of you, it's like, oh my goodness, those are some powerful beasts. Now, I wanted to bring you guys into it as well, so I took a video of one person who's riding a horse that's trying to buck him off, and I just want you to imagine that you are the person riding that horse and what that must feel like. Uh, let's go ahead and watch the video. <laughs> That's trying to hold on. Oh my goodness. Now, I think about this because I know there's been times in your life where you've gone through something really challenging and you're just trying to hold on. Where you're wondering, is there something solid in my life that I can keep a grip to because everything else seems like it's kind of chaos. Everything else seems like it's just going wrong. What is in my life that's solid? that I can place my feet on and know that I'm okay. Well, if you've gone through an experience like that before, then the good news for you is that if you're a Christian, well, you have something. You have something that you can always hold on to, no matter what's happening in life. Something that's going to keep you grounded. And what that thing is, is the cross. It is the symbol of the cross. And that's what we're going to explore today. You see, this is our summer series where people from the congregation have turned in questions that they're wondering about. And today's questions have to do with the significance of the cross. What does the cross mean for your life today? Here's our questions. Did Jesus really have to die on the cross? Couldn't his miracles and life lived have been enough to demonstrate God living among us in a new way. Let's talk about the cross. What did Jesus' death on the cross accomplish for us and our lives today? Now, you'll hear one response probably over and over again to that question. It's probably so familiar to you that you can help me fill in the blank. So let's get it on up here. The, the, the response you'll hear is, Jesus died for my... Oh, see, exactly. We've all heard this by many, many times before. Now, there's a great improv game, and the improv game is called Yes 
and. And what you do in the game is you're creating a story together with the cast members. And when a cast member does something or says something to build the story, you can't say to them, no, not that. Or, uh, sure, but, and then go in a different direction. You need to build on the story they're creating by saying, yes, and, and then building off of what they've said. So maybe in the story they say, okay, uh, in this sketch you're a doctor. And you don't say, no, I'm not. You say, yes, and I'm a pediatrician. I work with children, and you flesh out the story a little bit. I think that can be a helpful model when we're looking at this statement that Jesus died for my sins. Yes, that is a true statement, and it's not the full picture. We need to keep digging if we're going to really understand the significance of the cross. It goes beyond just that one statement. Because if we stopped there and simply said, okay, Jesus died for my sins, I understand everything I need to know about the cross, let's move on, I would ask, well, well then, what about the resurrection? Was there a need for Jesus to rise again? I mean, if everything was accomplished right there on that cross, then, then why did Jesus rise again? There's more to the story. There's more for us to explore. So, Jesus died for my sin, yes. And, let's dig a little bit deeper. What do we mean when we say sin? Now, you might be thinking, oh, great. This is the Sunday that I brought a friend, and now the pastor's talking about sin. They're never going to come back. And, but, hey, stick with me here, because talking about sin should never be a shameful experience. Uh, you should never feel worse leaving church than you do walking in. And yet, we cannot avoid this topic, because sin is simply realistic to talk about. I'm sure you can look out at the world right now, and you can say, not all is as it should be. You can probably pick a dozen different things to say that is something that is wrong with our world. And you can probably do the same thing when you look in yourself. And so this is something we need to talk about if we're going to be realistic. Now here's one definition of sin. Sin is the bad things that we do. So with this definition, Jesus died on the cross because of the bad things that we do. Okay, well, let's take this then a step further. Let's say just theoretically that as I was driving to work this last week, I became very frustrated by a certain intersection. Let's just call it Hager's Ferry. <laughs> that was supposed to be completed on Thursday, and yet... Even as I drove to work this morning, I still had to add those 10 extra minutes and loop around Cowan's Ford before making my way here. Now, you might say, again, in this theoretical story, that I'm thinking some unchristian thoughts towards <laughs> the city planners, uh, the people who are creating this mess in Hager's Ferry. Well, if we take that for an example, is that the reason Jesus had to die? Because I'm thinking unchristian thoughts because of my, in particular, sins. Is that what we're talking about here? Well, I wonder if there's a better and more nuanced definition of what we mean when we talk about sin. So here's one that I came up with. It's a little long, it's a little wordy, but hopefully you get the idea. 
I believe that sin is all the broken parts of us that keep us from becoming fully formed in the image of God. So I don't want you to think only about your behaviors, only your actions, because then we think of God almost as a disciplinarian, looking at all your actions going, that's okay, that's not okay. Instead, I want you to look inside yourself and say, what parts of me don't reflect the image of God? What inner parts of me are, are not the parts that are really living in to the person that God created me to be? That's, I think, what we're really talking about when we talk about our sin. It's our inner reality that we know is not as it should be. Sin is not just our actions, but it's what is happening inside of you that leads to those actions in the first place. Think about a bully for a second. We all have in our minds probably some example of a bully, hopefully long ago in grade school, um, but someone who didn't treat us very well. Now, the actual bullying is maybe them insulting you, maybe them pushing you on the playground or some mean comments, but what that action is, is really only the tip of the iceberg, isn't it? Because it's actually rooted in a much deeper insecurity below the surface, inside of that person. When we talk about sin, our minds often go just to that tip of the iceberg, the morally wrong actions that we can easily see. But what God wants to do is address both the actions and also the disjointed inner life that has led to the actions in the first place. So when we talk about the cross, on the cross, Jesus is primarily concerned with healing us, healing our broken inner selves. Now the natural question is how? How does the cross accomplish this? If, if Jesus wants to heal you, why the cross? Well, to answer that, we're gonna explore a letter that Paul wrote to the Corinthians. And in this letter, I've got to warn you, almost every verse is jam-packed with good information. The type of information that we cannot absorb it all in just one reading. And so I'm giving you homework. And your homework is to go home this week and read 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And I'd love for you to read that several times. Because every time you read it, new things are going to jump out at you. I really believe every time you read it, God is going to take a verse and bring it to your mind, speaking to you in a new and different way. We're going to get to really absorb just a couple of these verses to give you an idea of what Paul is trying to teach here. Now, before we get into our verse, which we're beginning mid-chapter, verse 14, we need to be thinking about why Paul became a missionary to begin with. Uh, because that's what Paul talks about here. He talks about traveling the world and, and sharing about the good news of God. And the recognition is that this was not an easy life he chose. In fact, this is probably the hardest thing that he could have chosen to do. He doesn't stay long in any place, uh, not long enough to really create much of an income, and every place he goes, there's large groups of people that don't want him there, 
and are actively working against him. So Paul has chosen a very challenging life where he chose to become a missionary. So why? Why does he go? Well, what he's about to tell you is he goes simply because the love of Christ compels him to. Here's his words. He says, Christ's love compels us, meaning him and the other missionaries, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. So Paul is saying, the reason I'm a missionary, the reason I go and and live a challenging life in all these different places is because the love of Christ is, is compelling me to go there. And that love finds its roots in the cross, in the understanding that Jesus died for all, and therefore all have died. Now, we're going to get to that part a little bit more in just a second. But the first thing I want you to focus on here is this idea that the love of Christ was the driving force of Paul's life. I wonder, is that true for your life today, too? I think often, many of us, maybe fear, maybe insecurity, becomes the main driver of our lives, where we make decisions based on what we're afraid might happen, or if we fear how a different person might respond to that decision. What would it look like if the love of Christ became the driving force of all of your decisions, of your thoughts, your priorities, and how you spent your time? How would that change your life? Well, Paul says the love of Christ is the compelling force in his life. And as I said earlier, he traces that love in its most full expression back to the cross. Jesus choosing to die. Now, that word was very intentional. Jesus chose to die. Jesus didn't have to die. Remember, Jesus was God. So at any point, he could have just stopped this mob who was seeking to crucify him with even just a word. But Jesus didn't do that. Jesus chose to die, and not just for you, and not just for me, but Paul says, for all. One died for all, and therefore, all have died. We all somehow participate in this event of the crucifixion. How? How do we participate? That's what Paul wants to to lean into next. So he goes on, he says, And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So how do we participate in this death of Christ? We participate in it because once we understand it, once we truly absorb that this happened, that Jesus died for us, then we get the choice of how to live. Are we going to continue to live the same sorts of lives we did before we knew that news? Or are we going to live differently? Paul would say the way we participate in this is choosing to live a different life, a life that's lived in response to what Jesus has done. And so all of us get that choice, where we look at the cross and we say, okay, if this is true, If Jesus did this for me, then do I just continue to live for myself, my own ambitions, the the things I want to accomplish in this world, or does my life then change? 
Do I begin then to live for God and God's priorities? Does the love of Christ then push and drive my life? A change occurs in response to the cross. So Paul would encourage us to live very differently once we absorb this fact of of love that God has so freely shown us. Really, what he goes on to say next is that when we make that choice, when we say, okay, I'm going to live my life now for God, a transformation happens. And it's a transformation that I think happens first in our hearts, first in our inner selves, and then you see it in your actions, you see it in the outer person. Here's how Paul talks about this transformation. He says, therefore, meaning based off what we just read, based on what we know of the crucifixion, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. I love this because this verse here is probably very well known. You probably all have seen this several times, but I wonder if you've seen it in its context. The context here is a story of living in response to the cross. And as we live in response, and as we realize, ah, the love of Christ, this has been done for me, then when we choose to live for God afterwards, we become new. We become new creations, where the old is now in the past. That's my old self, and I'm going to live in a new way. Now, I think Paul uses that word creation very intentionally. Because as he uses it, what do you begin to think about? Probably the first creation, right? Your mind probably goes back to the book of Genesis. And Paul hopes that it does. He hopes you begin thinking about those early stories, about the first humans, and how God created the world, and God created it good. But then sin entered the world. And that simply being humanity's heart, choosing to live for themselves and not for God. And when that sickness, that illness, came into humans' hearts, we've seen the disastrous results that have come. But Paul makes this astounding, audacious claim that that has changed because of now the cross. Yes, he is saying with this in mind that in Christ, the new creation has come. So we have the creation from Genesis that was corrupted. And now we have this new creation that is coming because of Christians living differently. Because of what happened with Jesus on the cross. And notice that Paul doesn't say one day it will come. Paul says has come. Meaning it is a reality for all of us sitting here today. That anyone who is in Christ... That means your soul, your life, the very truest part of you has been recreated. Now, the Bible has different terms for this. Uh, The Bible sometimes simply says you are now redeemed. Uh, Other times the Bible says you are saved or you have been adopted into the family of God. All of those different terms are talking about the same event, this event of your life being changed because of understanding what God has done for you. So, where we've come so far is that if sin is this illness in our hearts 
then Christ's death represents our healing. The cross represents an opportunity to live a new sort of life that's no longer for ourselves. It is a life totally lived for God. There's one more question, though, that might be lingering. I mean, for a lot of us, this, this is enough. And we say, okay, great, I'm going to live differently because of this amazing thing that God has done. But for some of us, there's one more question that needs to be asked, that needs to at least be explored or discussed. And I think the question is, well, how does Jesus' death on the cross really lead then to this outcome? And I think that's what the initial question was wondering. I mean, couldn't Jesus have, have done it in a different way? I mean, look at the teachings of Jesus. Those were so amazing. Couldn't we have just left it at that? Why did Jesus have to die on the cross? We're going to skip ahead a couple of verses because this is where Paul gets to, I think, the climax of this discussion. Here's what happened on the cross. Paul says, God made him, meaning Jesus, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. Pause there for a second. Paul's not saying that he, God, made Jesus have sin or become sinful in some way like we are. Now look at those words closely. God chose for Jesus to become sin itself, to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. When you think, Jesus died for my sins, this is a more full description of what we mean, I think, when we say that. Jesus chose to become sin so that we might be righteous in God's eyes. What Paul is saying here is Jesus had no sin. Uh, that part of our lives that bends us away from God and helps us, encourages us to treat others poorly, Jesus did not live that sort of way. Jesus, being in the very image of God, lived a perfect life. But the world rejected him. And that's the story of the Gospels. Uh, the world rejected his teachings and chose to kill him instead of follow him. And think about this for a second. Jesus knew that this would be the outcome if he chose to come into our world. If he chose to be born into our world, Jesus knew how that story would end. And yet Jesus chose to anyway. I mean, knowing all of this then, God uses the moment of crucifixion that many of us might see as the low point in human history. When an innocent man is tortured and killed, God uses this moment, chooses it, to bring then ultimate healing into the world. I think in one of the greatest miracles that Jesus ever performed, Jesus became sin on the cross. What I take that to mean, and we're getting into supernatural territory here. We're needing to use our imaginations here. But what I take this to mean is that all hatred, all fear, all bigotry and prejudice, all of humanity's bent away from God was absorbed into Christ in that moment on the cross so that all of those things could be put to death as well. Jesus became sin 
so that we might become righteous. So a new sort of life is possible. A life that's not dictated by the sinful inner nature, but is dictated by the new creation that God has formed in us. Now, I imagine the implications of this, this one event in history that happened 2,000 years ago, I imagine it shooting out in both directions, both to the past and all who lived before Jesus, and then to encompass all the people in the future who would live after Jesus, and that includes us. Because if the cross is right here, then we are 2,000 years later. And I know I've had conversations with people before, and they would say, well, how? How can one event that happened so long ago, how can that affect me today? And I would say, well, it happens all the time. It happens all the time. We like to think that we control our destinies, that we're our own autonomous people. But the truth is that we are not that we very often are influenced by things, uh, by people who have gone before us in ways that we still may not truly understand. Uh, The choices of your parents and your grandparents have affected you today in ways that, that you may not even be aware of. Or even think of your own genetics. You did not choose to be short or tall, did you? Your genetics chose that for you. There are many studies being done that show even how a person's cholesterol, it it matters what you eat, but your genetics play a strong role in that as well. We are shaped and formed as people by things that have happened long before us. And in a spiritual way, that's what we mean when we talk about the cross. What Jesus chose to do on the cross, that affects all people in all time, no matter when they lived or, were, or chose to be born. That includes us today as well. So when we think about the cross, we need to think, okay, what does this mean for me today? I think of it as a symbol. And I'm gonna bring you in to what I did now for the children's message at the earlier service, because I think the thinking through of symbols can be a helpful concept here. So I'm going to need your help. I'm going to show you a symbol, and I want you to tell me both what it is and what it represents, okay? So here's the first one. This is easy. What is this? McDonald's. McDonald's. That's right. Whenever you see these golden arches when you're driving down the freeway, it doesn't matter if you can see the words underneath it. You know what the symbol means. Now, Here's a harder question. To you, what does this represent? Fast food. I think that's a good one. Because to me, that's what this represents. Not necessarily good food, but fast food. I know if I just need something fast, I can get in and out of there very quickly. All right, all right. What about this one? Ah, the Nike swoosh. We would all recognize this symbol, wouldn't we? But what does it represent? Shoes. Go a little bit deeper. Who wears these shoes? Athletes. Yeah, I think what this this swoosh symbol represents is, okay, the people who wear it really care about fitness. They are athletes. They are going to wear not just any shoe, but a certain shoe. Let me show you one more. This is the cross. 
This is the symbol of Christianity. In many ways, we might think, why is that not an empty tomb? But it's the cross. Because because of what Christ chose to do on the cross, this, the lowest point in human history, has instead become the point of hope for us as a people. And so as Christians, what we do with all that we study today is we choose to become people who walk in the way of the cross. What that means is that just like Christ, who chose self-sacrificial love over living just for himself, we do the same thing. When possible in our lives, we live for others, we sacrifice for others, we live in a different sort of way because we are living as people of the cross. And so, as we follow this question today, thinking, why did Jesus have to die? My answer would be, he didn't. He chose to. And I am so glad he did. Amen. If you would like more information about Unity Presbyterian Church, please visit our website at www.unitypres.org or visit us on Facebook. This is the Unity Presbyterian Church Podcast. Have a great week.